welcome to Bookish, or welcome back, the show where I talk to interesting people about the five books that have influenced them, changed them, or shaped them most. My first guest this season is my friend and colleague, Garrett Reesman. Garrett is a NASA veteran who flew on all three space shuttles. His first mission in 2008 was aboard the Space Shuttle Endeavour, which dropped him off for a 95-day stay aboard the International Space Station, after which he returned to Earth aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery. His second mission in 2010 was aboard the Space Shuttle Atlantis. During these missions, Garrett performed three spacewalks. Not only is he an astronaut, but Garrett was also an aquanaut, serving as a crew member on Nemo 5 and living on the bottom of the sea in the Aquarius deep underwater habitat for two weeks. Kill me, I couldn't. After leaving NASA in 2011, he joined Elon Musk at SpaceX, where he served most recently as the Director of Space Operations. He's now a senior advisor there, but works full-time as Professor of Astronautical Engineering at USC. Garrett and I met on my show, For All Mankind, where he serves as consultant, producer, and sometimes actor. I was, as you'll hear, so grateful to Garrett for being my first guest while I got warmed up and used to interviewing again and getting used to the technology of it all. Also, as a general footnote, if you're driving or cooking or doing something that means you're unable to write down any of the books that you hear mentioned today or in any of the episodes, do not worry. You can go to the show notes and all the books we discuss will be listed there. Or you can go to the website, bookishwithsoniawalker.com, and you'll find them all there. Um, If you go to the website, they're linked to an Amazon page so you can find them and buy them with just one thing. So that's pretty easy. All right, here's the episode. Okay, for many reasons, Garrett Reisman, I am really glad that you're my first guest for many reasons. I'm going to start with this one because you host a podcast and this is my first one back in season three. And so I'm rusty and nervous. I woke up multiple times in the night being like, do I remember how to do this? Do I have, have I read anything? Do I even have questions? And then I just had this lovely, reassuring feeling of like, it's Garrett. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, <laughs> even if we never mention a book, which don't, we will. Don't hype it too much. I, I don't perform well under pressure. You said that. I just was listening to your podcast with you two. Uh, uh, just a quick plug for Garrett's podcast, which is Two Funny Astronauts, which is an aptly named show from what I could tell. And uh, and you say that there, you don't perform under pressure and you're fellow astronaut whose name I'm blanking on, John. Mike uh, Mike Massimino. Oh, Mike, there we go. Uh, he's like, yeah, well, lucky, lucky we're not in our old jobs because it's not like astronauts have to perform under pressure. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you for doing this. It is so lovely. It's so lovely that it's you. It's such a fun way to like bounce back into season three. For those of you who don't know, I have been playing an astronaut for the last coming up on three years now, which is crazy, on For All Mankind, which is an Apple show about um, space. And uh, it's an alternate history show in which we imagine a world in which the Russians got to space, got to the moon first, and what that would have done to history had that happened. And um, I have had the great fortune to play Molly Cobb, who is I think up there with one of the coolest women I've ever played, uh, ever 
in all my many, many years of doing this. Molly Cobb is just a badass and uh, also happens to have the great accolade of being the first American woman on the moon and the first person to discover water on the moon, mm-hmm. um, which was really quite a thing and, to shoot. And can I to shoot. jump in and just say that you've done such an in- unbelievably incredible job uh, portraying that character? I mean, I remember when we when she was just on the page and and we didn't know what she was even going to look like. And then you you really brought her to life. And 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 it's been such a joy watching you uh, kind of like just breathe humanity into Molly. And and we yeah. and we should also point out that um, oh, you're just phenomenal with her. And 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 we should point out that we actually got to do a scene together. Yes, actually, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. But so so this is how I met Garrett because Garrett is. Uh, are you a producer or a consultant on the show? I forget what your actual title uh, is. My, my title is technical consultant. There we go. Um, basically, the show would not exist, and this is absolutely not a joke. This show would not exist without Garrett because oh. otherwise these amazing writers that we have who have extraordinary imaginations but understandably technically very little knowledge of what it takes to put a rocket on the moon or how to get to Mars. So they invent whatever their hearts desire and then Garrett comes in and tamps it down and makes it actually probable. Um, so I met we I remember going to have lunch with you way back when I was just first playing Molly and we were all there, all of us girls that women who were playing the female astronauts and we all had a sort of round table lunch with you so that we could pick your brains about what it was to be an astronaut and it was so great. I remember it. I remember us all being so sort of eager and breathless and, and full of anticipation. And you were so generous with, you know, what must have been the uh, most tedious questions imaginable. No, no, but, no. no. Um, anyway. It was so super fun for me. That that lunch was, you know, we were on the lot there in, at Sony Pictures in Culver City. And we were in the commissary in that private room. and. Mm-hmm. The food was actually pretty good too, so that helped. And and <laughs> it, was like, it was so much fun that just because you know we we're just starting out and yeah, uh, and 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 then and then we got and, to do an actual scene, which is yeah. so fun. In season two, like I get all the the scripts at, to, and I have to give notes on them. I have to look through them all and and try to give them some suggestions that whatever I can. And I'm reading through this one script, and there's this one scene where where Molly Cobb is coming back from the moon and the commander of the space shuttle that's bringing Molly back to earth is commander astronaut Garrett Reisman. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and I, I sent a, a, an email to Ron, uh, uh, Ben and Matt are, our, 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 uh, co-creators of the show. And I said, uh, Hey, we're going to find a guy good looking enough to play that astronaut Reisman character. <laughs> you know, I think Brad Pitt might be available. And, and uh, they were like, uh, they said, um, they said, no, we got the perfect person in house. So, th- so they 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 wrote me into this one scene with you, and and also with Jody was was in the scene too. Mm-hmm. And what what really amazed me about that, first of all, just it was really fun. It was like it's, it's like going to fantasy baseball camp where like. You you pay a bunch of money and they let you like take batting practice with the Dodgers <laughs> and they humor you like you you actually belong there or something you know That's hilarious. Uh, and, and um and and um so so it's kind of like it, it was that kind of experience and I, I there's lots of we should talk about books so I won't I won't go into great detail about this but uh, you can talk about anything you like truly 
<laughs> okay. Well, what what what, I, what was really astounding was um, at one point we're doing this one scene where your character Molly has just come back to Earth and she's having I don't think it'd be any stretch to say a really bad day, right? Mm. Like the, her world has come crashing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's faced with this stark reality as a result of her choices that. Um, it's very bleak. I mean, it's it's a very bleak and, and, and very, very difficult moment. And we're getting ready to shoot this little scene. And the scene is like, you know, like 20 seconds in the, in the, in the, in the show, but we spent like a mm-hmm. whole afternoon doing this, right? Oh yeah. Cause you had to do it over and over and, and, uh, welcome to my angle. world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, I, and you guys just, you know, like, Oh, here's another day at work and I'm just loving it. I'm like, can't we do it again? Can we, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Only 15 takes? Can't we do 60? So, um, so, and, and we're joking around. Uh, uh, the, the four of us that were that were in the scene, we're in this little tiny trailer, and as, as if we just came back on the space shuttle, and now we're going to exit the trailer, step out onto the tarmac at the shuttle landing facility, and meet mm-hmm. the press, right? And we're joking around. T- I won't talk about what we're what we're talking about because some of it wasn't really appropriate. But anyway, we're we're there's a lot of levity. <laughs> <laughs> comparisons ranking of certain things but anyway it was it was really fun and and very funny and and we'd be joking around and then they would say action and and as we would do the scene we would walk down this the staircase and then at one point every time I would turn around and look in your eyes uh-huh. and every single time I did that I was like a deer in the headlights I was just stunned because here was Sonia who which we were just kidding around and making jokes and saying silly things uh-huh. And I'm looking in your eyes and I'm seeing a person that is experiencing the most tragic day of their lives. And you were able to just turn that on like like turning on a switch. How you can do that, I have no idea. But it is abs- it was absolutely remarkable to me to watch you do that because wow. I, I have just having worked on the show, I have a whole new appreciation for what what how, the, what it takes to be an actor and how talented you have to be, but but seeing you, it, that is my biggest example. If people ask me like, what did you learn about acting? Yeah. It'd be turning around and looking in your eyes and seeing how you can just express so much meaning and emotion just in a glance. Oh. It's, it was really really remarkable to me. Garrett, thank you. I I am very honored and honestly humbled at the idea that. Uh, <laughs> me going from joking to silent might you know elicit any kind of response in you after <laughs> the extraordinary career that you've had but anyway um thank you i will say that and it was indeed a really fun fun day i loved it yeah, um so let's talk about your books you were my very very first choice when i was putting together my list for curating my guests for this um, season i here's a funny thing when i finished season two which is a long time ago it's two and a half years ago that nearly three that i finished recording season two i remember saying i'm burnt out i love doing the podcast it's really hard work finding a diverse array of interesting guests who are both readers and have had interesting lives. And I remember saying to a friend, I don't want it just to be actors, this show. I mean, I love actors, but I don't want it to be that. I said, I want to interview an astronaut. I want to interview an orchestral conductor. But I so distinctly remember saying, I want to interview an astronaut. 
And then I get cast, whatever it is, a year later or a few months later on for all mankind. And I think, oh, yeah, astronauts. That's funny. And then I meet you and I think, oh, he's great. And then I get to know you. And then I think, I mean, I think maybe you're sort of single-handedly what propelled me back into doing season three so that you and I could talk about books. So here we are. (laughs) So thanks for getting me back in the saddle. Thanks for being my number one guest. And um, I guess my first question to you is how hard or easy was it to pick your books? It wasn't – it actually, in the context, the way – the question was framed was which books had the biggest influence on you. Exactly. And so that actually was fairly easy to, mm. to pick for most of it. Um, mm-hmm. I would say for maybe at least three out of the five, that uh, that was pretty straightforward given mm-hmm. that, given that criteria. Uh-huh. Oh, good. Uh, I love that. But I also realized I kind of made a, a, a tactical error in that <laughs> I haven't really read these books in a long time. I, I, you know, they, they, they did make a big impression on me. And they still, if, if you asked me what was my favorite or most meaningful books, there would be ones on this list. But uh-huh. but I realized that, like, a lot of these I haven't read for decades. So uh, Believe me, you are not required to recite a passage. You are not okay. required to know anything <laughs> other than why they're on the list. So let's talk about the first one. The first one is... Wind, Sand, and Stars by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. It was published in 1939. Uh, It was originally published under its French title, which is Terre des Hommes. And I'm so thrilled to see his name on the list. I'm used to The Little Prince. I I did not know this, which is a memoir that predates The Little Prince by... Four years, 1939, this came out. So tell me about when you read this book and and why. Well, first of all, thank you very much for pronouncing his name before I had to. (laughs) (laughs) I I was terrified. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) Consider it taken care of. (laughs) Well done. You said it so so well. Um, So, so yeah, so he, everybody uh, who knows him, most, most everybody that knows of him, knows of him because of The Little Prince. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I read Wind's End and Stars before I read The Little Prince, which was kind of backward. But since then, I've you know read The Little Prince to all my kids, and we, we watched, a, the, there's, a, the, there's a movie version that came out, mm-hmm. real, an animated mo- version that was an interesting interpretation of it. But The Little Prince, at least p- a portion of The Little Prince, was based on a real-life experience that uh, Saint-Exupéry had uh, as a pilot and mm-hmm. and not everybody knows that that he was a very accomplished and pioneering pilot back in the days a- around before and after World War one and, and mm-hmm. up until World War two in fact he was killed tragically flying uh, a p38 lightning on a reconnaissance mission in, in World War two and his body was never recovered is that right they never I think, found it I think it was just recently they found the oh. wreckage. Wow. Uh, if I if I if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. don't quote me on that. But I think mm-hmm. that within like the past decade, uh, oh, wow. they okay. finally found it. Um, he vanished and, mm-hmm. and was lost, you know, without a trace for a long time. And uh, in fact, they, they they forbade him from flying the, the French government because he was such as an author. He was so valued oh, as a wow. cultural icon that they said we don't want to take any chances of losing you. So you're not mm-hmm. allowed to fly in combat. Uh-huh. And he hated being out of the cockpit and just, he was kind of like Molly Cobb, you know, he, he just could not fly and, uh-huh. and kept lobbying. He finally found an American 
um, squadron that was willing to let him hop into a P-38. And that was a huge step forward in technology and, and, and much more powerful, much more f- uh, quick, much faster, higher flying airplane than he had ever flown before. And he was probably, even though he was a great pilot, he was a little overmatched and, and he was brought down, I think by accident, not really by enemy fire, if I, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So again, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm diving deep back into memory banks that come up that's with this okay. stuff, but but he wrote about flying in a way that's so romantic and really uh, captures the, the the spiritual essence of why I and so many other people love to fly. Hmm. And so I, what I would do is I, I uh, for uh, many years now, I've been a, a flight instructor, a certified flight instructor. And whenever I get a, a flight student, which these days is pretty much non-existent, I'm, I, I got too many <laughs> other things going on, uh-huh. but um but in, in back in the days when I was instructing, I would on the first lesson I would hand this, each one of my students a copy of this book, huh. uh, as a way to get excited and really uh, f- understand kind of from a romantic uh, point of view what flying is really all about f- from mm. a romantic or a spiritual point of view. So, who put it in your hands? How did you find it? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Mm. Um, I think what? I just. I, I, I must have heard a review or something or read about it. And how I ended old up reading were you when you read it. Do you know? How old was I? Um, I'm guessing, I think it was when I came out to Caltech to go to grad school. So it must've been the early nineties. Uh huh. So I would have been, you know, in my mid twenties, I suppose at the time. So listening to your podcast, I was really intrigued to find out that you was, that you read and were fascinated about flying as a kid and that you read all these books and devoured the school library about it, but that you didn't even consider the prospect of flying or becoming an astronaut until your first year of being an undergraduate. And it was because your mum was frightened of flying that you, <laughs> is that real or is that you that, being no, funny? No, that's true. That is true. She, so her fear of flying is- was so inhibiting to you that you thought I can't become a pilot? Yeah, well, I, I well, I was watching those Apollo flights, and they were all test pilots. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so you know, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, you know, Deke Slayton, all these guys were, sure. were military test pilots. And I had a mom that was scared of flying. There's no way she was going to let her son become a test pilot. Uh, you know, <laughs> but I, but I, but I still harbored and was determined to still become a pilot, mm-hmm. but not a military test pilot. I just wanted to, to fly small like Cessnas and things. Uh-huh. And I read every single book in my school library that had any, any, every technical book I can get my hand on that talked about flying. Mm-hmm. And, and so one book that was an honorable mention for my list was I a saw book this. called, yeah, a, a little book called flying by Barry Schiff, which is a classic old, it's out of print, but I still have my copy of it. From, is yours hardcover? Uh, it's, it's, I have a soft cover little, this one is little tiny, uh, it's books. Yeah. It's so valuable. I found it that you can a hardcover would you could sell for eight hundred and eighty four dollars <laughs> now. Wow! So you have a valuable little book in your hands. Why is it only an honorable mention and not one of the five? Do you think? I guess it should be part of the five, but um, because it definitely that and books like it. When I was a little kid, were I, I just devoured them, mm-hmm. and I wanted. I was just so hungry for knowledge about how airplanes work and, and all the secrets were contained in those pages. So, mm. uh, 
so I, I guess it probably maybe it should have been on this. I've, I felt like, well, there's no real plot. That's <laughs> so okay. Maybe that's why. Listen, you know, uh, and we, you, the plot, pl- the plot's not what matters in terms of this podcast. What what I'm curious in is where what are the books that helped you become who you are? And it sounds like both Flight and Wind, Sand, and Stars, sort of together. I mean, flight sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, like the technical part of what got you to where you are. And Wind, Sand, and Stars sounds like the more spiritual part yeah, of what the, got the, you to where you are. Wind, Sand, and Stars is more inspiration, uh, and, and and flying is definitely the the nuts and bolts and the technical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the characters in, in flying are like <clears throat> the turn and bank indicator that's one of the characters. <laughs> it's like, there's right. not a whole lot of arc to that right. character, but yeah. And and Wind, Sand, and Stars is a collection of essays, or is it a continual continuous piece? It, it's a collection of biographical stories or or, or episodes from from Saint Exupéry's uh, life mm-hmm. and things like that. So one of the things one of the things in there is an, is a recounting of he was flying once from Benghazi to Cairo. Hmm. And his plane went down. The one thing that that maybe a lot of people don't understand is just how dangerous it was to fly these airplanes in that period of time in the early 1900s. Mm. Uh, these early airplanes were completely unreliable. Mm. Uh, the engines would fail constantly. Like, you, you to, like the airplane I have today? Uh, there's a mandatory time at which you're supposed to consider overhauling the engine, taking it apart, remachining it, basically making it new. And that's, for my airplane, is 2,000 hours of flying. And then you have to at least inspect it. If Uh it's doing well and everything looks fine, you could go beyond 2,000 hours, but but 2,000. Back in those days, if you got like a few tens of hours before the engine died, you were doing great. (laughs) Like 10 hours. It was like, wow. (laughs) And 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 they they also uh, you know did not land very well if they weren't on a on a nice grass runway sure. soft place uh, there was very little protection for the, the in the structure so so these guys were and 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 they and they had no there's no GPS or mm-hmm. weather information you know they didn't know if a thunderstorm was coming or not mm-hmm. and there's a story in in Wind Sand the Stars about him being caught up in a typhoon I think in South America and being swept out to sea he couldn't even he was he, he could not fly faster than the wind and the wind was blowing out to sea. And so he was out over the ocean with, with, uh, he got very lucky to be able to make it back to land eventually. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's all these stories that is the, and, but so the, the danger is there. And in the the one story about Benghazi to Cairo, he's forced down and he ends up in the desert, almost dies and is saved by some Bedouins that find him on camels and take him back. Mm -hmm. And that is a kernel of, uh, the, the the little, little prince. prince, right? Yeah. The little prince has. Um, it's a side note, and it's not related to your book, but uh, the dedication of the little prince is the single most wonderful dedication of any book I have ever read. I think I printed it out to read it to you because you may know it already, but it's so beautiful. It says to Leon Worth. I ask the indulgence of the children who may read this book for dedicating it to a grown up. I have a serious reason. He is the best friend I have in the world. I have another reason. This grown-up understands everything, even books about children. I have a third reason. He lives in France where he is hungry and cold. He needs cheering up. 
If all these reasons are not enough, I will dedicate the book to the child from whom this grown-up grew. All grown-ups were once children, although few of them remember it. And so I correct my dedication to Leon Worth when he was a little boy. Wow. Wow. Isn't that Yeah, thank you for for reading that because that's so touching. And I I, I didn't recall that. That's, That's really remarkable. I, wow. uh, I was l- thrilled He's to such have a the good writer. <laughs> opportunity to read it out loud because even though it's not related to your book, it's one of my favorite dedications. Let's talk about your next book, which I was thrilled to read, um, Lord Jim by Joseph Conrad, uh, and it was published in 1900. When did you read Lord Jim? I think I read, it was, it was after undergraduate, mm-hmm. Um so it was probably again about that same time period, probably in the mid mid to early nineties, mm-hmm. uh, is when I read that one. I the, the first con- book by Conrad I read, like everybody, was Heart of Heart of Darkness. Sure. And um, and, and since I've read almost everything Conrad has written, and he's definitely one of my favorite authors, mm-hmm. and uh, or maybe my if I had to pick one, it might be him. Uh huh. And what amazes me about Conrad is. The, the, his writing is so remarkable. I mean, the way he crafts a sentence is, is, is it's just such a, a, a wonderful thing to behold. Just, mm. it's just the, his prose is, is just so fun to read and so interesting and so intricate the way he uses the language, which is shocking because English was not his native tongue. Well, he Polish. was born, he was Polish, yeah. Yeah. And um, and so he learned English as a second language, and yet is one of the I think one of the finest writers in the English language. No question, he wasn't is, fluent till his mid twenties. It's extraordinary. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I mean, that's and and the other reason that 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 Conrad uh, uh, and all of his books, and especially Lord Jim, really resonated with me is that he captures and discusses and, and wrestles with the same kind of existential or. Or, or or critical aspects of being an astronaut, despite the fact that he was writing in the late 1800s, right? In the That's late- fascinating. Say more. What what what's the overlap? What do you see as the overlap? Well, the the so the thing about um, being a good astronaut and or a good pilot, or in in Conrad's case, a, a good sailor in in the merchant marine. Uh, in the late 19th century, is this concept of being operational. Mm. And it's something we talk about all the time, like at NASA and, and as pilots. And it's, 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 a, it's a different skill set from what you need to be a good engineer or to be a good scientist or be a good, a good mathematician. Uh, there's overlap, but it's not the skill set is, is distinct. And, and by that, I mean, operational means, the way I define operational is it's being able to make real-time decisions mm-hmm. without a chance to sleep on it, think it over, but you have to make a decision now mm-hmm. of tremendous consequence mm. so that the penalty of making a bad decision is severe. Uh, mm-hmm. It could, it, it, you're, Literally, your life could depend on making the right decision mm-hmm. and doing the right thing. And that is a trait. So I, I explain to people, people like, often ask me about becoming an astronaut and they say, well, you know, I've, I've done great work in the laboratory. I've published all these wonderful scientific papers. I'm like, that's great. But you probably all know brilliant scientists or brilliant engineers to whom you would never lend your car. 
right? <laughs> because they don't pay attention. They have no attention to detail. They don't look twice before they, they, they pull out in a busy street. Yeah. And they're going to bring it back all dented up. Uh, and they don't know how to parallel park, right? So, yeah, they're brilliant. They're, they're incredible scientists, but but they're not operational, right? right? That's the difference. Right. And Conrad writes about what it takes to be operational, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 especially the thing that you all that you fear the most as an astronaut. It, it, you know, a lot of people ask, like, were you scared when you're sitting in the space shuttle ready to, mm-hmm. to launch? And almost every astronaut will tell you the same. Will give the same answer to that question, which was. I'm not really scared about something going wrong and me being hurt or killed, even mm-hmm. though you know this is not the most safe way to spend <laughs> a Wednesday. <laughs> you know, uh, you're cognizant of that, but but it's, that's not really the thing. What what you're afraid of is is making a mistake and messing up. Right. And that's the famous like astronauts' prayer. I think it goes back to um, Alan Shepard, who's lying there waiting to launch in his first Mercury flight, saying, "Oh, please, Lord, don't let me." screw this up you can swear on my podcast okay but, oh, please don't let me fuck this up yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> feel free and that's to what launch we all are thinking right one. yeah yeah and 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 conrad got that so lord jim is really explores what happens if it goes wrong mm-hmm. and you have this um sailor who is part of uh, his first mate on a on a passenger ship and in the middle of the night i think they strike something and they, they fear that the ship is going to sink. It's full of hundreds of civilian passengers. And the captain decides to abandon ship. And they jump into a boat. And he knows that this is the wrong thing to do uh, and that this is a bad decision. But in a moment of kind of panic, he doesn't live up to what we all, the, the, the ideal that we all hope to live up to as operators. Mm-hmm. And he gets into the lifeboat with the captain and, and leaves. And it turns Jim out. Does. yeah. Jim does. Jim yeah. gets in the, in the and, and, and abandons the, the passengers along with the rest of the crew. Turns out the ship didn't sink. And in fact, if, uh, I think in the book, it's a British Navy vessel or maybe a French Navy vessel that that tows it back to port and 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 they go on trial mm. and are deemed unworthy and 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 that they had failed. They had not mm-hmm. lived up to their operational promise. Mm. And that is like the biggest fear of any of us, like mm-hmm. that we would go out and do a spacewalk. Mm-hmm. And and goon it up, and then somebody gets hurt, and then we come back, and we are judged mm-hmm. by a, for, for our mistakes. I'm so with you. I think it's so fascinating the moment in which morality gets its flashpoint. Right? We all mm-hmm. have them in micro moments at, at I don't know traffic light or you know whatever. That we all have micro moments where we're challenged by the world and to see if we will behave with authenticity as we have done up to this moment. And morality really is what do you do in the dark when nobody's watching, right? That that's mm-hmm. that to me is what's so interesting. And Jim is very junior when when this moment happens. You you watch him grow up as the novel progresses. There's a whole second half of the book which I don't Interestingly, when you put Lord Jim on your list and I was researching it, I'd read it at Oxford and I did not remember the second half at all. Hmm. And I know I would have read the whole thing, but I didn't remember it. And I think it's it's not because it isn't exquisitely written, as you rightly say, he's a prose master. It's that that um, it's that that flashpoint of of what do you do and that split second 
that then has a ramification for the rest of his life and for many other lives too that are then implicated in who he becomes as a result of that choice. That to me is, that's what to me literature does. That's what a book does that a film cannot. A film can only give you the moment that an action happens, but a film cannot climb inside someone's head and expand and explore. I don't care how good you are with your eyes. Thank you, Garrett. But you can't, I can't give you that in my performance. I can give you some indication of that, but that's what a prose master can give you, which I think is, is why we come back to books over and over, why, why an image or a moving image is not ever going to suffice. Well, I, I, I think it's it, it's also that um, there's so much more freedom in in literature to do something like like if you ha- if you wrote a screenplay and the climax happened in in, in the first act, mm. and then it was like all you know downhill from there, downhill. nobody would film it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but the interesting thing about Lord Jim, um, yes, the, the first the most interesting thing is is the the moral choice he faces, the operational. Yeah decision he's forced in an instant to make and he makes the wrong one and then he is immediately judged for that and and he's he's part of this fraternity they they call him you know he's one of ours was was is the is the quote that's mm-hmm. that conrad uses and that that's a very special thing like being part of the ast- i remember when i was an astronaut i just wanted to be accepted by the other astronauts and i didn't mm-hmm. care what ceos or uh, or politicians thought of me, or sure. I could care less. I just wanted to be one of accepted as one of us. Right. Uh-huh. And that's, and, and there are, there are, there are, there are colonial and racial overtones to it in Conrad's work, but, uh-huh. but the, that concept of being part of this operational group and, and yeah. then being cast out. Yeah. Uh, and then, but then the second half of the, of the novel is all about the aftermath. And that uh-huh. to me was also really interesting. Like, could you ever recover mm. from that, from, mm. from that failure? And right. can can you ever atone? Can you ever work your way back into being one of us again? Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's not. Yeah, we never. I think they did make a movie out of it, but it probably probably didn't work at all. But they uh, did. I, I suspect yeah. not. Um, we let's move on to your third book, which I loved because it was so uh, unexpected in the given what we talked about. So your third book is Running with Scissors by mm. Augustine Burroughs, which was published in 2002. Tell me about this choice and why you love it and why it's on the list and when you read it. Well, so it's probably on the list mostly because when and, and more importantly where I read mm-hmm. it, which was in space, on, on the space station. Oh, I uh, love that answer. Yeah. That's so <laughs> fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's also it and the next and the other one um, on this list uh, that's that uh, that is the same of the same category um, is vacation land and that's uh, I, I put those two on the list because they're funny mm-hmm. and and uh, I think it's really difficult to write a book that's fu- for some reason to write a book that's funny um, to make you actually laugh out loud uh, in print so like I, like every. Often I, uh, I'll read the New York Times uh, summaries of the late night talk shows, and I'll read the jokes, and it's hard to for even though if I watch Stephen Colbert say it, sure, with all of his timing and delivery, then I'll laugh out loud. But when I read it the next day, it's funny, but it, it oh. but so it's pretty rare to find a book that actually makes me l- literally laugh out loud. Yes, but these two did, and so I so I include that because I. 
uh, I envy that. And, and I've, I've done a little bit of writing and I try to, when I, when I write, I try to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I took running with scissors with me cause I heard it was funny. Turned out it was, which is remarkable because the, the book is all about like divorce and psychosis and, uh, abuse and, and rape. I mean like horrible things. <laughs> But it, it made is. me laugh, you know, no, it maybe it says something funny. about me. I don't know. No, no, no. It's, I, I totally agree. I read it when it came out and I was delighted to see it on the list and thought, hang on, I need to remind myself. And it is funny. He's looking, isn't he looking for, doesn't he start divining his future by looking at poop? Isn't that's that right. one of the things that he starts doing? The, this, the, the, the shrink that's like the, the head of the household, he starts... Um, Dr. Finch, yeah. Making it, you know, uh, reading... It's like reading the entrails or something or, or tea leaves, but he starts, you know, thinking that there's spiritual, um, uh, uh, theological implications of forms of his feces, right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, that, that was hysterical. Actually. Yeah. Tell me, when you go to space, do you... So you took... Running with scissors. Is this on your first trip to the International yes. Space Station? So and was, how many books did you take with you? I took two, uh, and um, you don't get to take very much stuff, and uh, and and there would be no point on bringing you on a shuttle mission. This is my because you're, if you're on a shuttle mission, it's like about twelve days. It's over in the blink of an eye, and you're extremely busy. There's no downtime at all to read. Right. But on on the space station mission, I was up there for three months. And then you get a little bit of time. And I did finish both of those books while I was up there for those three months. Was the other one Vacation Land? No, no. Actually, the other one was Devil in the White City. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that. It's, it's, um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, Devil in the White City. In fact, uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. I can't even, uh, think of the author's name, but, um, that's all right. I'll put it in the show notes. But he wrote it, – it, it, I brought it because I, I, both these books served another purpose too, which was I was looking for pure escapism. Mm. I didn't want to read like The Martian or yep. something up there. You know? Sure, like, sure. I'm on a space station, you know, yep. I'm uh, doing spacewalks. I don't want to read like like science fiction. I wanted yep. to, something totally different. And Devil in the White City was a really interesting book. I know it's not on my list, uh, but it, it was a, it was a very entertaining book. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a quick read, and 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 it was very escapement because it put me into the centennial exhibition in Chicago around the around the turn of the of the of the nineteenth twentieth mm-hmm. uh, century, mm-hmm. and um and and it was a, a combination of the promise of the centennial exhibition and this horrible mass murder that was going on in the same location and the juxtaposition of good and evil, uh, right. and and it was very compelling as as right. a mystery, but also as a right. Um, so, so, uh, so I read that and I read running with scissors and running with scissors, um, was escapist, but also I was writing these missives, these journals and about funny things that were happening to me up in space. And I still have all of it. I, I've, I, I, one day I'll, I'll get it all together and, and, and publish it. But, uh, and some, a lot of these stories actually are feeding my podcast. Now I'm telling a lot of the uh-huh. stories I wrote back then That's great. with Massimino. Um, and, um, so, so we're getting it out there in one form yeah. or another. Yeah, it's great. I love that you kept – did you keep a journal or the missives? Are you mandated to do that? Is that a choice? Is that, Oh, no. no that's no, just that was, you choose to keep a journal. Yeah, I started doing it in training. Actually, I started doing it, 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 I started doing it right after I was selected as an astronaut. So I have, a, I have a, like a, a little missive I write about, um, uh, about my first flight in the T-38. 
and, and what that was like. And, 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 uh, and then like land survival training, I, I mm-hmm. wrote a, a bit about that. So, um, and, and, uh, and then I kept doing it when I was up there in space and I wanted to kind of, to, to kind of inspire me or to put me in the mood to write. Mm-hmm. I, I read running with, with scissors cause, cause, uh, he does a, a masterful job of making even these tragic things funny and I wanted to be writing in that same vein. So I thought that would help uh, right. inspire me. Totally. No, it was interesting reading the sort of even just the Wikipedia entry of Running With Scissors. And, you know, it's 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 funny because it's written, um, it's described as a memoir, although uh, Augustine Barrows was separated from his mother because she was deemed to be psychotic. And he was sent to go and live with his mother's psychiatrist, Dr. Finch, and their equally crazy batshit family and so and so that's the the sort of premise of it and and the family's horrendous and has their own children and foster children that they've all gotten there so they're a bunch of absolute lunatics wandering around and somehow this is i agree some of the darkest comedy comic writing it's it's inspired it was funny reading about it and reading that uh the the thinly disguised psychiatrist in real life sued Burroughs for calling it a memoir, sued him for defamation. And so tech, um, somewhere in the book, I, I forget how it's phrased, but it's it's called uh, Running With Scissors, a book. And yet, if you look on the front page, it says a memoir. So they've had to fudge it mm-hmm. and they paid the family $2 million to refer to it as a book and not a memoir. So yeah. I thought that was funny. Let's talk about <laughs> Vacation Land, which I didn't know and makes me want to read it. Vacation Land was published in 2017 and is written by John Hodgman. Yes. It's another one that the books that I thought was um, one of the funniest things I've ever, one of the funniest things I've ever read. And, and so these two books, I would also, I have to throw out some honorable mention. Yes. I've read some stuff by Sarah Vowell. Am I, am I pronouncing her name correctly? I don't know her. She wrote uh, Lafayette in the United States. And, oh. um What was the other book I read recently? But she writes kind of a combination of history, but she writes with a lot of really wry humor and it's, and, and she's great too. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the other, so if I had to pick my favorite authors, I'm, I'm, I'm expanding the list. I'm sorry. Please to, to go for it. I love it. But I would put Conrad on there, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're the, the last one we haven't got to yet is uh, Doctor Rowe, um, mm. and we'll talk about him in, in just a moment. But the mm-hmm. other one is uh, Michael Shaban. Uh, mm. Yeah, and uh, I I, I, I've read most everything that that those three authors have have written uh-huh and he also is really funny at times uh Shabon. no question no question yeah and I, I remember like uh there's a there's a there's a there's a in the Yiddish policemen's union there's the the one passage that i'll I'll never forget because it cracked me up was uh the the protagonist is a is a detective uh and 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 the plot of this book is this is based on a true story. It's kind of like our show. It's an alternate history. But there was a time before the creation of the state of Israel. There was a time that uh, the Secretary of State of the United States suggested that we use this land in Alaska that uh, and create the Jewish state in Alaska. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> obviously, not exactly a biblical connection, but, um, but that was a thought. Well, we can. Yeah. Yeah. After World War II, we can give them some of their territory up there. And so in, in, in the Yiddish Policeman's Union, that, that is the alternate history where that actually happens. And they have uh-huh. a Jewish state. That's great. 
homeland in Alaska. And at one point, this protagonist is taken captive by a criminal Orthodox Jewish organization. <laughs> that, okay. that can, and, and, and they throw him in a jail cell. And so he's sitting in this jail cell and he looks up and he sees on the side in one of the bricks, it says, uh, this holding cell was made possible by a generous donation from my Saul and Shirley <laughs> Turtle Top, Boca Raton, Florida. <laughs> it's like it's so perfect. Great. It's so great. I also love that John's parents just got a shout out. That's great. Yes, it did. <laughs> well, when I saw Vacation Land on your list, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know this. And I don't really know John Hodgman. I know him by name, but I don't. I didn't really know his work. So I went and was looking around and sniff, you know, you could, it's a, it's a collection of essays, uh, very, very funny essays from what I could tell um, about him moving from New York uh, to Maine. And am I right? Does that, does that sound right to you? It, it, it tracks. Um, yeah. From New York. It, uh, some of it takes place in this place in Brooklyn. Some of it's in Western Massachusetts. And then he ends up in Maine having a, like he buys a summer property up there, I think. And, uh, he inherits his yeah. parents' property to begin with. And this is a quote that I found that made me laugh so hard that I had to print it out. So here is John Hodgman having inherited his parents' modest weekend home in rural Western, oh, sorry, in rural Western Mass on discovering propane. I didn't know what that giant white metal Tylenol out in the backyard was for. I thought it was just some weird personal submarine my father had collected, but that's, that is not what it is. It is a propane tank. And if you want it to be full of propane, you have to call the gas daddy. And if you do not call him, the gas daddy will not come. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> we actually, the house I'm sitting in right now is our, is our little summer place. And uh -huh. we ran out of propane. <laughs> Did you? A month oh, ago. You need and we to had to call, call the, the gas daddy. Yeah. This uh, is the other one that he wrote on Maine. Maine, in his telling, was created when the government asked its existing states if they had any garbage land they didn't want. And Massachusetts said, oh, yeah, we absolutely do. We have this whole massive hump of half Canada up here that we never use. Take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that as a description of Maine. Anyway, so that was my, those were my findings of vacation then. Tell me about you taking it on your, was this a second trip to the space station or where did you? No, did no, you vacation land. I, I read more recently. Oh. Uh, and, um, and, and so it was after my, oh, yes. my flying days were over. And, 2017. And, and, sorry. Of course. Yes. Yeah, so that, that never, that one never, uh, 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 made it with me to orbit, but, uh, but it made, it did make me crack up. And, yeah. and, um, and there's, there's, uh, I, I one, one thing I, I, I remember, and and it, it's been a couple of years since I read it, so I might be a little fuzzy, but <clears throat> I think there's one part where he's in in this river with his friend of his, and they're building these cairns, this these stone piles of stones that you see people do. You know, often is a um, a pragmatic use for them, which is when you're hiking, so you don't lose your way. They're kind of like little milestones. Sure. Uh, but he just found these piles, in and and he's just describing them in these fantastic terms, like. They look sinister and like sharp and like and and is, is created by some evil witch and they were creating their own uh, as offerings to the gods and all this stuff and he's piling on like like this 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 really uh, kind of deep descriptive ex explanation of this almost mystical process of building these stone things and then he throws in there like oh did I mention that we were stoned out of our minds. <laughs> <laughs> Just throws that in there, and it's like it just made me crack up. 
That's great. That reminds I, me actually of another uh, another book. Uh, I mentioned uh, Shaban. He wrote a book. I think it's called Fatherhood, and it's just a, a collection of personal essays about being a dad, which huh. which uh, you know which was different than the than most of the um, fiction that he wrote. Uh, and and I really enjoyed that book too. And there's one part in there where his, his kids ask him, "Dad, did you ever smoke pot?" Hmm. And he thinks about it, and he's, he's a little hesitant, and he finally decides that honesty is the best policy, and he says uh-huh. to his kids, yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And they asked, uh, how many times? And he says, uh, about a million. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had so, that conversation with your kids? Uh, not yet. Not um, yet. But they, I won't they make know, you they, have it they know the answer, so that okay. I, 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 it's not necessary. Okay. All right. <laughs> they have key um, powers of observation. Yeah, sure. I think ours do too, and mine, mine's eight. Um, <laughs> tell me about your last book. This is um, Welcome to Hard Times by E.L. Doctorow, yes. published in 1960. I had never heard of this book. I know Doctorow because I've read Ragtime, which is, mm-hmm. I think, probably what most people have read. Um I didn't know this book, and so I was so intrigued. It's his first; it's the first book he published. Tell me about it. Tell me why it's why it's on the list and what it means to you. Well, he's another incredible writer. I, I, I just love. I, I could read a single sentence over and over in, in one yeah. of his books, and, and really appreciate how he put it together. And and yes, most people are aware of um, Ragtime or the Waterworks and, mm-hmm. and a bunch of his other City of God. He, he's written a bunch of really cool stuff. Um. Billy Bathgate has mm-hmm. another one. Sure, uh, and um, they're all great. But uh, but but Welcome to Hard Times is my favorite of all of his books, and it was his very first book. I think he wrote it as a student or something like that. He, it was his first novel that was mm-hmm. ever he ever published. It's fairly short, and you will fly through it if you pick this thing up. I I almost guarantee you will pick it up and read it before you put it to the end without putting mm-hmm. it down because you, it sucks you in. And it's one of those, those books that you just, you know, it's just, it's it just, it's it just completely gripping. Mm-hmm. And, and it starts out it, and it, and it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's a Western. So it takes place, um, uh, in, in the West, in this, in this town called hard times. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it starts out as kind of a classic Western where there's this, there's this hard scrabble town with a bunch of miners and one saloon and, uh, and the bad man arrives in town. Right. And he's and called the bad man, right? It's a capitalized, I love that. It's all capitalized TV and you know? it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The bad man from Bodie. Right. Mm. And, and um, he comes in and he is just pure evil. He's the Darth Vader, the, um, the Cersei Lannister, whatever, whatever, mm. you know, incredibly evil character that you can imagine. He mm. embodies all that horrible side of human nature and he destroys the place, literally burns it to the ground. And, and there's, there's a, a similarity here with Lord Jim. I was going to say they, they struck me. There was an echo there in these two books, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, 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 uh, because the, 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 there's really no hero in this book. Uh, the protagonist, the main character is is kind of an anti-hero because he faces this kind of the same moral quandary that that Jim faces. This is the and, sheriff. And the, yes, or, or the, the they call him, I think, the mayor. Oh, okay, right. Uh, 
And uh, but it's just but it's, that, that he wasn't actually voted. I think I think it was just kind of like a nickname. And and so when confronted with this evil staring at him in the face, he he does not do anything heroic. He mm. um, he takes a pragmatic approach, which was to avoid conflict. But in in the process, the entire people are killed. The whole town is destroyed. And he did nothing to stop it, mm-hmm. really. Right. Uh, and he, you know, rationalizes, well, the, you know, what could he have done? He was outmatched, outgunned. Uh, he would have just, the, the one person that stood up to the bad guy immediately was shot and killed, mm-hmm. uh, and comes stumbling out of the saloon and, uh, and, 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 and is falls in a, in a heap on the street. So, so he rationalizes it that way, but this goes to like that, the thing about the only, what I, I uh, uh, I'm going to mess this up, but the quote is something like the only thing that evil needs to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Good men to do nothing, yeah. And that's really the essence of what he writes about in the beginning. And similar to Lord Jim, where you have somebody who had an opportunity to do the right thing in the heat of battle and makes the wrong decision Mm. and then has to live with it. Mm. And then it becomes a tale of survival and about him and and, and a couple other, um, most of the town people flee, but a, a few people stay and and have to survive the winter with no stores and 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 shelter, and they they have to get through it. And then it becomes a really captivating survival story. Hmm. about are they going to live through this, and how do they survive? And then it becomes a story about rebuilding and an attempt at rehabilitation of his reputation, and and because uh, they know the bad guy is going to come again mm-hmm. as, as soon as the town springs back into life and becomes a thr- uh, thriving again. You're just waiting for that other shoe to fall. And I won't, I won't, I won't give you any spoilers. You should all mm-hmm. read it, but there's no Hollywood ending to this thing, uh, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. And it's a really interesting um, examination of your choice to whether act or not act in the face of evil. And I think, you know, I haven't read this in a long time, but I should go back and read it now because what we've all been through as a country mm-hmm. over the past, you know, five years or so between our politics and, and um, Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. COVID and everything. Mm-hmm. And the question of what do you do when there's evil all about? Mm-hmm. W- do you turn, the, turn the, your head and look away or do you act? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the pitfalls on both sides of that equation are really sure. explored very well. And I, I bet it would be really timely to read it now. Yeah, I love that. I love the recommendation. I will do. Uh, it was fascinating to see it on your list and to just hear you talk about it too. I love Dr. O because I, I'm a writer as well and I'm trying to write my book at the moment. And I have a quote of his pinned to the wall, which is, Dri- um, writing is like driving a car at night. You never see further than your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. And I <laughs> love I'm reminded of that so often when I'm like, I can't do this. It's too big. I don't even know how I'm going to write the whole thing. And I'm like, you just have to write the paragraph in front of you. You just have to write the little bit that's illuminated by that bit of headlight. So what what do you write about? uh, I'm writing stories um, largely inspired by my extraordinary um, father who was inimitable and had more adventures than than would fill four books. So wow. I'm taking some of his stories and he was someone who was also fascinated by flying and falling. And, um, mm. and so, uh, yes, I think he'd have loved, he'd have loved your list. He really would have done. 
I don't think he had um, anything like the sense of um, morality and man's responsibility to other men. I think my dad was um, more of a narcissist than, than that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think he'd have he'd have really loved your list. What since you bring up the pandemic, did you were you able to read during the pandemic? Did you find you could focus enough? Did it bring any comfort? Did you read anything no. that stood out? No, uh, you're not. I mean, yeah. that's why I ask because yeah. so many people found that uh, your, their focus was just shot during it. It was hard, uh, and, yeah. and the, the thing that made it hard was we 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 have kids in the house too, so we have a ten year old and a three year old. And that sounds the, really straightforward and easy. You just have it easy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it, it's been a blessing and a curse, you know, as, as, sure. as, as, as I'm sure you understand that you're in the same situation, trying to yeah. be productive and work. Like my wife right now is, is with the three-year-old outside trying to keep her out of the house so she won't scream and ruin so, this recording. Thank uh, her for me, please. Yeah, well. <laughs> from, from, from a heartfelt mama thanking another mama. I'm truly uh, grateful. She's happy. They're having fun out there. So it's, they're on the swing. They're having fun. No, that's but, what they say. She's not having fun, Garrett. Let's be really <laughs> crystal clear about that. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> but trying to like, uh, but but the but doing being that, um, not being able to go to the office and being productive, but being being home and and still trying to help out with the family. And um, you know, we watch at, at night after dinner. We'll watch some like cartoons or something that the whole family could watch, and then. And then I'm exhausted. I go to sleep. I, I, the only thing I've been reading lately, uh, um, I've been trying to get through some uh, some nonfiction books. So I've been trying mm-hmm. to get through the meritocracy trap for uh, 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 for like a year now, uh-huh. which I find is an incredibly um, insightful bit of of writing. Mm-hmm. But I'm just having a really hard. It's 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 not. It doesn't read easy. It's a hard right. read, um, right. but it's but it's a very important topic. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to get through that. I did get through. Much, I had a much more easy time getting through uh, how to be an anti racist uh, mm-hmm. by Ibram Kendi. Yeah, and, that was and, excellent. Uh, I found that to be also incredibly insightful. Yeah. So I'm kind of reading stuff like that. I did read one other Doctor novel during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and um, that was City of God. And I haven't read that. Right. It, it was it was a good one. It was mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, but that's about it. So I haven't, yeah. I haven't really been able to, to curl up with a good book because yeah. there's just too many distractions. Yeah. I, I, I understand that. I, uh, I went to the other extreme. I've never read more. I mean, I have literally, I went back to, I, I was, I always keep a list every year of what I read. I've done it for a long time. And I went back and was counting and was like, wow, I, I just didn't want to watch a TV screen. I did not want, I didn't want the, the, I didn't want even the chance of catching a glimpse of the news because it was too present anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of the day of schooling, both children, mine were, so they're six and eight now, but they were not, they were seven and f- um, six and eight. What were they? Seven and five. Thank you, math. Uh, they were seven <laughs> and five when we when we began, and Jakey was. It was just intense, as as every single parent out there knows. It was really intense, particularly at the beginning. That scramble to figure out, you know, schools working it out, and my five year old hadn't even started kindergarten yet, so he didn't know. He didn't have a Zoom school to even go to, and by the end of the day, I just felt so 
depleted that books felt like food. They became sort of genuinely the most nurturing thing Mm. I could do. And so I just devoured and devoured and devoured books. I I, I sort of look back at the list and think, wow, will I ever read that much again? That was, that was crazy. Um, and you're mostly yeah. rereading, you say, say, or, or not? No, I wasn't oh, no. rereading. I'm not much of a rereader, honestly. There's mm. a handful of books that I go back to um, over and over. Portrait of a Lady is one. Um, uh, Great Gatsby is another that I reread mm. probably every year, every other year. There's a, there's a couple that I am passionate about. Books on reading. Um, Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird, uh, which is her book on writing, not on reading that's a book I read over and over particularly as I'm trying to sort of get my energy back into writing again uh that's an amazing amazing handbook I highly recommend it for anyone who's trying to sort of find the discipline to get back to the table or the desk or the laptop whatever you wherever you write um Garrett we've reached our hour I won't dream of taking any more of your time I'm so deeply grateful this was just an absolute treat i loved your books i loved hearing you talk about them thank you for making the time thank you for stealing yourself away from everything that you do from my show from usc from spacex from two children and a wife just (laughs) thank you i'm really really grateful to you it's my pleasure. This has been really, really fun. And um, and I learned a lot, too. So uh, this is this is great. You Thank did. You, for you learned me. how to pronounce Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, and that is all. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was huge. I've been saying it wrong all these years. <laughs> Thanks again to Garrett for his time and energy and for making us all look somewhat credible on camera. Uh He's invaluable to us on the show, so quick plug for him there. Um, I just love talking to him and hearing about his books and his energy. is just so good, isn't it? So as I mentioned in the trailer, we're going to try and keep this conversation going during the week. What that means is I am going to throw you a question and you're going to drop your answers on our new Instagram page. It will be our way of staying in touch and hearing what you liked about the episode and a place for us all to get some new book recommendations. So here's my question. Garrett chose a book that was light, funny, and would entertain him during his time in space. What genre or even specific book would get you through three months on the International Space Station? I've been mulling this over for a while now. So go to at Bookish with Sonia on Instagram to see what my choice would be. Join me next week for my wonderful conversation with author and academic Dr. Marion Turner. The show was produced by Brie Weiss and the music was composed by Davy Holmes, who also happens to be my husband. You can find all the books we mention here listed in the show notes or on the website. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It genuinely helps. Have a lovely week. <laughs>